This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We need like a global world news report, like something like Pod News, but more global to kind of share these really great accomplishments that are happening because you don't really see them very much because they're in their like languages and they're like promoting amongst themselves. You don't see it outside of that country. This is Podcast Perspectives, a show about the latest news in the podcast industry and the people behind it. I'm Jeff Umbro, founder and CEO of The Podglomerate. Today on the show, we are speaking with Lori Martinez, founder and CEO of Studio Ochenta. Studio Ochenta works in 27 different languages. They're aiming for 80. That's where the Ochenta comes from. They have partnerships with publishers all over the world. In podcasting today, most of the conversations, including the ones that we have on this show, are very U.S.-centric. So we are aiming to move beyond that sphere and talk about what the rest of the world of podcasting looks like. Lori is the perfect person to speak about that. She knows more than I will ever forget about what is happening in other parts of the world in the podcasting sphere, what that means for the future of podcasting, work and translation, IP, derivative properties, and so much more. So thank you so much, and let's get right to it. Lori, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? Good, good. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So we're going to start with a very basic question. Uh, What is Studio Ochenta? The short answer is it's a multilingual podcast company. The long answer is it's a lot more than that. We're a content creation company and mainly focusing on translations. Our specialization in multilingual podcasts is really extended to helping adapt and bring shows to new language markets. We do consulting, we do post-production, we do casting for local language uh, localizations. And as opposed to your typical localization company, we really are focused on podcasts and audiobooks as our main focus for content. And in total, we've worked in now 27 languages, trying to get that number up to the 80 ochenta, which is what our, our title is ochenta. So it would be nice to get to 80 languages. But the main thing to know about ochenta is that we're really, we really care about doing a more respectful approach to translation, more detail oriented. We really care about adapting a series so that the local audience really will feel like the content has been made for them rather than just kind of transplanted. And so there's a lot of attention to detail in the style of, of translation and adaptation that we do. So any kind of project that we work on takes quite a bit of time. We're not just, you know, AI translating something. We're always really working on adapting something so that the local listener feels like, yeah, this is for me. And it's filling a need that is not being filled at the moment. So that's really Ochenta <laughs> in a nutshell. Do you have like a primary market that you operate in? Yeah, yeah. The big markets that we, we work on the most, that we get the most requests for, are Spanish, Latam, Spanish, Spain, France, of course, because we're based here, 
We also work in Germany quite a bit and in the U.S., but for tackling Latinx U.S. audiences, so Spanish speakers in the in the North America, essentially. And yeah, those would be the main markets. After that, you know, it just depends on what the client's requests are. And when that happens, like pretend I want to, I don't know, make a Korean podcast. Do you have like a pool of translators that you work with? Yeah, we've we've always specialized in multilingual from the beginning. So kind of set up language hubs of teams that we always go to for specific languages. So when, for example, we worked on a podcast in Mandarin, we work with a very specific translator, a copy editor, a producer who is native speaking. And so that team is, you know, three or four people plus someone an internal at Argenta who's kind of managing the editorial, like going from one language to the next. And every time it's kind of recreating that team and we, we have our go-to people for those languages. Yeah. Are there any markets that you don't operate in? Oh, we've never done anything in India. Like I said, we've only done 27 languages. There are hundreds of languages in the world. So yeah, there are a couple of markets that we haven't had a presence in, but that we've maybe worked with a freelancer or maybe worked with a storyteller in that country. In particular, when we did the show Ochenta Stories, we were able to touch quite a lot of countries that we would never have thought to work in. Ochenta Stories was this podcast that we released during the pandemic, and it was crowdsourced storytelling. So we basically did an open inbox and said, if you want to tell a story about the pandemic experience, send us an email and we'll produce it in your local language plus English. Right. And so we started off with English, French, Spanish, because easy, because those were our primary language markets when we first launched. And then quickly we got Italian pitches, we got Korean pitches, we got Persian pitches in Farsi, in Mongolian, we got in Ukrainian, we got pitches in Japanese. And so very quickly it kind of expanded to be like very open to whatever the creator was kind of sending us and working very closely with them to be able to kind of make sure that the local version was true and that the translated version made sense. And it's a really great multilingual experiment because it shows that you don't necessarily have to have an entire team in a, in a market to be able to produce something in one language. It's very, it's rewarding the kind of work that we do when we work with external creators like that. We're at a point in uh, podcasting, in, and I guess in the world, where we're seeing a lot of like shortcuts that are being made, especially in translation with things like AI. You just mentioned that you actually set up a team that has like an editor, a writer, a producer, a translator, some combination of all of those, I'm sure. But how do you think about work in translation beyond just translating the language? Because there's a lot more to it than that, right? Yeah, for me, I think one of the things that characterizes Ochenta's work is that we're very, very mindful whenever we take on the work of adap adapting a series. It depends on kind of the level of adaptation that we do, but we always, always kind of come in with a mindset of what are the goals in adapting this series? It's not just to subtitle this thing that already exists in one language. It's also what other shows exist in this market that are similar or how does this topic like resonate in the local market? So it doesn't feel like you're just kind of coming to the translation just to change the text. 80% of our work is honestly understanding who the target audience is and what they want. When we adapt anything, we're really looking at cultural nuances locally and even in casting the local voice, you know, how does the narrator's voice, who maybe might sound like a upper middle class woman, let's make sure we find the equivalent like that in the new market, right? At every level, we're looking at, okay, what would this sound like locally? And how can we make sure it sounds normal and like natural to the person who's listening on the ground? Do you have any examples of where you've intentionally kind of changed the way in which you're presenting it in a different market? So, for example, like you just used the, the case of like an upper middle class woman. 
Like, what if you feel, or the the partner that you're working with feels that like it may resonate more if you have it as like more of a, a young adult or teenage male voice or something? That's a silly example, but I think you get what I'm I'm trying to say. Like, does that ever happen? You know, honestly, it's never happened where the client is kind of in a disagreement about like the direction that we're going. I think the first thing that we do every single time we we take on any adaptation is have like a consulting meeting with the client about their goals. Because if the goal is our podcast is very adaptable, we don't mind changing the format as long as it means that it's a success in that new market, because the goal is that it's a success. If that's the goal, then we can talk about changing the format, maybe tackling an audience that's much more present and interested in this kind of content in your local market. And then we make like, you know, we make a proposal that would make sense for that goal. If the goal is to keep the brand as similar to the original version as possible, then that is the recommendation that we would follow because that's what the client is requesting. It's more about brand awareness. And so then it's not about making it a successful show locally. It's more about spreading the word about that specific content and that specific message. And then so, you know, we're not necessarily adapting so much about the voice or so much about the content itself because it's more universal and they really just want to spread their brand message. And the, the thing that's really cool is that Ochenta has this kind of knowledge of the target audiences. We recognize do research in each market and are able to make informed decisions and informed recommendations about, you know, what could work and what doesn't work, which helps the client also make decisions. But ultimately, we follow what they want because the client, you know, it's their business goal, right, that we're trying to accomplish. The client is unfortunately always right. Yeah. Just to ground this in like some real world examples, like what are a couple projects that you have translated in like some of the different considerations that you've taken? Yeah, our most recent bilingual success, which was Adventure Natakama and Asafata Natakama, which was our Choose Your Own Adventure podcast. It was an original that we produced, wrote and developed in Spanish for Mexican Spanish audiences. Very, very Mexican, the show, the jokes, the references, even the way that the storytelling is written and developed the cast, all Mexican. We worked with influencers locally and we did like a full rollout for LATAM in Mexico. And then we adapted the exact same series. It's about 37 episodes into English. And because the characters are so like Latino, like there was a strong desire to make sure that the version kept some of that Latinidad without making it inaccessible to a person that doesn't speak Spanish. So we had to kind of make a lot of concessions around the characters, their relationship to Spanish, contextually making it not bilingual, but still having traces of the Spanish so that you don't need to speak Spanish to understand what the character is saying. And kind of making the the characters themselves just kind of operate in a more U.S. Latino way, let's say, and have jokes that are more references that, that would make more sense and, and would be funnier to U.S. Latino audience. We had a lot of fun doing the project because the team that worked on it was fully bilingual Latino, like exactly this. <laughs> so it worked really well because we were able to like identify the nuances that would make it work in the U.S. And the show did really well. It was nominated for Premios Ondas for the Spanish version, which is a Spanish podcasting awards. And for the English version, it won a Lovey Award. And so we're really proud of the way that we were able to very much have a success in each language market. So that is like, I think the best example of, you know, how diligent we are when it comes to these kinds of things, because, yeah, we had the audience in mind from the very beginning and thinking about how it would be marketed in the local market in the U.S. for, for the English version and in Mexico for the Spanish. 
So you you mentioned sometimes you you find languages that you don't often work in in terms of translation and everything. Is that, in your opinion, mainly because of just like the lack of podcast market share out there? Like, is it because there are no listeners or at least not like enough to make it economically viable? You know, it really depends on the language. The smaller the language population, the less likely you are to already have a very established podcasting market. That doesn't mean that it doesn't exist because certainly the way that we've been able to even work in these languages is because people in those countries had heard of podcasts and were able to say, oh, I would like to contribute to this podcast. So there was an awareness in that country of the podcasting world. I think there's also something that is really sad, which is that, you know, we always talk about podcasting in the Anglophone world. And the language barriers that keep us from learning about other markets are very present. They're what keep us from, you know, knowing that the Hindi market is huge. India has a very big podcast scene. China also does. It's just that because we don't speak those languages, we don't know or we don't reach out to people and, and find out. And so that's something that Ajinta wants to kind of subvert and, and reach out to those creators and work with them. And it's something that we've been doing for the last four years. And it's allowed us also to kind of get a better understanding of what really global podcasting is and also understand that monetization doesn't look the same in every country. And that's something that's important to understand when localizing or even looking at like going to a new market. It's understanding, well, what actually makes sense and what is actually successful in that market. What, what are some examples of, of what that could look like? Well, in Europe, for example, subscriptions are really very big, where, you know, something like Luminary didn't have a lot of success in the U.S. when it came out. A lot of European media is already subscription-based. So when podcasters kind of turn to subscriptions or the platforms that are, you know, popping up in Sweden and in Denmark, they start off with a subscription-based model. It's not foreign to them. So the monetization that works the most here is not advertising. It's subscription-based, for example. And that's just on the platform side. In India, there's more subscription-based as well. It's very app-based. And also because it's such a, there's so many other languages that are present in that same market so that it's very scattered. And the way that the listenership actually kind of comes to a podcast is different. It's not just Apple versus Spotify. It's a ton of other apps that you need to know their names to be able to say, okay, I'm going dif to distribute in India, you know, it's not the same kind of simple distribution process that we have for Anglophone podcasts. I think it's really fascinating because even when you're just working with one language, we often, not maybe not often, but we historically several times have had a show that's featured in, for example, like the Apple showcase, like banner spot in the UK or Canada or Mexico or another country where We'll just see it shoot up in the charts in those countries because there maybe isn't as much competition in some instances, or maybe it just for whatever reason strikes a chord. So who are the players that are currently operating like on an international scale that are also operating pretty substantially in the US? Like I know there's Acast and Wondery has made some pushes outside of the US. And is there any other like notable players that people in this market would know? One of the big ones in Europe is Podimo. We've collaborated quite a bit with them. They're a Denmark-based company, but now they've gone global. I think right now they're present in Mexico as well. They have all the Nordic countries. CastBox is also really big in Europe as a player. And then you have quite a few mainly branded podcasting agencies and marketing agencies that have propped up, at least if we're talking about the French market. But if I were to go into every single market, it would be a little crazy. Yeah. And again, it's just honestly coming to the game, knowing that Apple and Spotify are not the only players 
that's already like a huge step towards understanding the rest of the world in podcasting because they're not they're not having the automatic Apple downloads. Not to say nobody, but like the world is Android. Eighty <laughs> percent of the world is Android. It's not on Apple. Which, just to be clear, does have its own issues sometimes. Oh, totally. But no, it's really exciting talking to you. And this is one of the reasons why I was so excited to chat with you on the show is that I have been to podcast conferences in three different countries. I live and breathe podcasts. I consume this stuff all day, every day. And half of the companies you just mentioned, I've never heard of. Yeah. Which never happens. That's so rare. And I think that it is such an opportunity for more folks to understand this stuff. And I hope more people reach out to talk to you about this because I do think that there's a lot of opportunity and, and you're right at the forefront of it. I think it's honestly just having curiosity. I've always been one to say, well, you know, all I know is what I don't know. So let me find out. And I think having that mentality when it comes to global podcasting is great because that way you find some amazing talents that you would have otherwise never had had connected with. And I think like that kind of collaboration that can happen, it can only happen if we're curious and if we decide, you know, this isn't the only place, this isn't the only way to do things. And actually, we can learn quite a lot from each other in terms of format and in terms of storytelling, in terms of subject matter. I mean, it's the world is your oyster, actually. <laughs> and it's, it just shouldn't be limited to the U.S. English kind of market. And I think it's exciting that people are kind of seeing that now. You've mentioned a lot of different markets out there. I'm sure that some of them are kind of excelling faster than others in terms of like how they're gaining market share. What are a few examples of markets outside of the U.S. that are thriving right now and, and why? So the Spanish language market is definitely blowing up. The most recent investment in Sonoro Global Media Group, they received $12 million in investment to grow their Spanish podcasting platform. And in the last year, both Podimo launched in Mexico. Amazon and Wondery started launching their own true crime originals in Mexico. So, I mean, there's been quite a lot of interest in the Spanish language market. Now you have, after that, you have Brazil, which is access to 200 million listeners. Huge. Same thing is happening. It's, I think, very early days for Brazil in terms of international investment, but it's very big already. The average Brazilian is listening to podcasts already uh, at a, a rate that I would say would match maybe the U.S. maybe three years ago. Wow. Which is still pretty big, you know? That's huge. Another uh, market that's grown quite a lot in the last couple of years is, I want to say, the African continent, which has many countries <laughs> and many different dialects and languages. That market is very interesting for monetization. You'll have one podcast that's very, very popular in one language market, one region, for example, in Nigeria. And you'll have the same like stars kind of do tours of like restaurants and local bars. And they'll do like really the kind of grassroots podcasting, video cast, chat cast thing that we're seeing in the U.S., but in Africa, it's like they're doing it on a higher scale, on a bigger scale, and, and to an extent that it's crossing barriers as well. It's really, really exciting. And I think we need like a global world news report, like something like Pod News, but more global, to kind of share these really great accomplishments that are happening because you don't really see them very much because they're in their like languages and they're like promoting amongst themselves. You don't see it outside of that country. I think I gave you a, a good rundown. I didn't get into China very much, but I gave you like a couple of markets. Yeah. In interestingly, China over the years is a market that has been covered. Probably not enough, but a lot. Nick Kwa, James Cridland have all spent a lot of time talking about the Chinese market. I'm very curious what it looks like when you you go to these markets and you can pick any one of them. Do you see a lot of hobbyists that are publishing their own shows? 
in this particular conversation, we're talking about a lot of organizations that have funding and teams and resources. Yeah. Is there also like a big market of like hobbyists? Yeah. I mean, like when I was talking about the African market in particular, it's quite a lot of amateur hobbyists who eventually turn those into paying communities and have done really well transforming them into merch communities, into event paying communities, et cetera, et cetera. In Spanish as well, that's been part of the reason why it's grown so much is because it's become so much more accessible to make podcasts in Latin America. And generally, there's more of a professionalization of the job itself. And so one of the most popular kinds of podcasts in, for example, in Colombia is how to make a podcast. And when you have that kind of how to make a podcast conversations happening, that means that there's like a desire for this kind of education to kind of make it more accessible. But of course, the monetization is always going to be the problem no matter where you are in the world. And so however the professionals tackle that question is going to trickle down into how the amateurs tackle that question. Like I said, in the Nordic countries, it's very subscription based, which means that most amateurs, they might want to sign up with a platform immediately instead of self-publishing because they know that they'll make more money via subscriptions than via advertising. And those decisions come after, you know, there's an established market in place. But you have to have the amateurs first for it to even go up to the professionals. And so the first school of podcasting is always going to be the DIY. (laughs) We got to give those people credit because they're the ones who establish the audiences. They're the ones that get those first people to say, oh, I know what a podcast is now. Every podcaster out there, including the Alex Coopers and Joe Rogan, started by just hitting record and publishing. Exactly. So I, I, I look at podcast translation in a lot of the same ways as I look at like translating books. Yeah. Ultimately, you have a property that's published in one language that could be published in like a finite number, but hundreds of different languages. Do you see the audio world in a very similar way or are there other constraints that don't exist in other markets? Like is Ochenta a company that doesn't really have like an end to the runway? (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) No, I think that there's something that's been happening in the last years since I started Ochenta, which is that we're actually having the conversation around multilingual audio. It's one of the things that has been baffling to me to see how slow it's been to become more natural for people to automatically think, oh, yeah, I'll release this in more than one language. Like the automatic nature of internationalization has never arrived to audio in the same way that it arrived to print, to even radio, even television, obviously, because you have Netflix and the platforms who automatically make their stuff in, a, in multiple languages and they have the subtitles like built into the entire production So the thing that's been frustrating for us is to see, you know, like slowly people picking it up, testing it out, not necessarily knowing the markets that they're launching in. And so then they don't necessarily do very well, scaling back on investment and then deciding not to do so much in that language, for example, because it just wasn't done right the first time. But I think what's happening now, which is really exciting, is that there's really a talk about IP and the way that you maximize the use of IP in both podcasting and in other media generally. Because existing IP is much more valuable than IP that you make from zero. And that's now the case in the strategy for pretty much every studio, every television, every movie studio everywhere, at least in 2023. This was the thing is we're not making new stuff anymore. We're using stuff that exists because we need built-in audiences. The value of IP is now becoming the center of the conversation. And so the adaptation of podcasts and licensing out of podcasts is much more natural to like bring to the conversation because it just makes sense. And, you know, I think the more that we see content that is created for that specifically or like created with that in mind, the more effective this entire system will become because 
you know, you have something that is designed for translation rather than just something that is super local or whatever. Just knowing that you're already accessing a global audience when you put anything online and just thinking about them a little bit more. Make transcriptions available on your content. Subtitle your videos. Even if you're not making the content in the new language, you can subtitle in another language. It changes everything. TikTok is already doing that. The global TikTok successes are people who subtitle their videos. Well, and what happens with the rise in some of these technologies like translation via AI and, and via subtitles, which I can go onto your website right now and put the whole thing in English or Spanish or French or whatever I want. In my opinion, and, and please push back if you disagree, like I think in a lot of instances, it's good enough. Not all of them, but many of them. Is that good or bad for the industry? You know, I've been racking my brain with this question because obviously, you know, the news has been AI replacing translators' work already. The AI translation tools that exist at our disposal today in the year of our Lord 2023 are not that good still. They still require a human editor, but eventually they won't. And that's a reality and that we have to kind of understand that as being the reality. I am not fearful that our job will exist in the future. I think it will just change. And I think that's the, the most optimistic outlook that you can have. One of the things that like we at least take pride in is that we don't just translate, we adapt. And we take target audience into account. So a lot of the work we do ends up being a lot of consulting and making sure something will be successful in the local market. And that takes human knowledge, that takes qualitative and quantitative research, that takes conversations, that takes knowing people in the local market listening to shows in those markets, having a you know real understanding of a culture and, and nuances, and that an AI can't do for now. <laughs> for now, and ho hopefully forever. Like, I, I don't know, I, I like the human touch. <laughs> yeah, I think the work you're doing right now is necessary and fascinating, and I'm so excited to see what you do in the next year and two years and five years and 10 years, and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to Lori for joining us on this show. As a reminder, you can find Lori at ochentastudio.com and check out any of the shows that they have produced. And you can shoot them an email to learn more about international podcasting and podcasting and translation. For more podcast-related news, info, and takes, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Umbro. Podcast Perspectives is a production of The Podglomerate. If you are looking for help producing, distributing, or monetizing your podcast, you can find us at thepodglomerate.com. Shoot us an email at listen at thepoglomerate.com or follow us on all social platforms at Poglomerate. This episode was produced by Chris Boniello and Henry Lavoie. And thank you to our marketing team, Joni Deutsch, Madison Richards, Morgan Swift, Annabella Penna, and Vanessa Ullman. And a special thank you to Dan Christo. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you next week. <laughs>